I'm going to try not to burp, Kathy, because I'm drinking <laughs> carbonated water. <laughs> wow. That would be amazing. sure going in the teaser. <laughs> And welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Somi Javade, your host and founder and CEO of HerMD. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, I am very excited to be chatting with my sister, Comel Caruso, who is also HerMD's chief revenue officer. I'm going to tell you and brag on my sister a little bit. She's got over 15 years of sales and marketing and business development experience. She worked at an ed tech startup overseeing their branding and content strategy, as well as their sales and business development team. She has a master's in integrated marketing from NYU, and she is joined also by our chief strategy officer, Kathy Lai. How are you doing today, ladies? I'm doing pretty good. It's Monday, but I think it was a really good Monday. I feel accomplished. And in between everything, I made homemade blueberry muffins. I don't know why. <laughs> You're always baking something. So yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit, Monty. <laughs> like everyone's got their therapy um, or something yeah. that they've done during COVID. And she has been sending me these insane pictures of these cakes that she has been making and eating. So I'm proud of her that she just doesn't <laughs> bake them and leave them for everybody else because then I would really hate her. But yeah, you baked a strawberry one, right? And then you baked a coconut one that you made me make and I ate 90% of the one I made. Yeah, that coconut one is so good. I love coconut. I made this chocolate one that was really good because it had coffee in it, like an actual cup of coffee in the batter along with some espresso powder in it. So that was really good. And I made a lemon blueberry one also. That's my favorite pancake combination that you also introduced mm-hmm. me to. The lemon ricotta blueberry pancakes. Yes. Creamy and zesty. I mean, yeah, I like baking. It's It's been therapeutic for me, I think, just to make something and have it. I don't know. And it, it just de-stresses me. I think everyone's had, you know, talking to patients, they've had their things that they've done. For me, it's definitely, you know, outside activity when the weather's nice enough, either taking walks or doing yoga on my balcony. How about you, Kathy? What has kept you sane? I really liked our escape room that we did on Saturday. That was so much fun. It was a ton of fun. What I really liked about it, I like the fact, so we've done a couple of escape rooms. We're nerdy that way. And um, Virtual escape rooms. Virtual escape rooms, yes. And, you know, the other ones we had to download documents and kind of did it in a Zoom meeting. But I love this one, Kathy. What do you think about the format of this one? I liked it. So basically, it was a real escape room, except somebody was wearing a camera strapped to their head. (laughs) <laughs> I was a little upset. I was disappointed we didn't see who the prospector was. Yeah. This person who was like doing it, but I was the whole time I was thinking about like if that was my job and people were yelling at me to turn left, turn right, look up, look down, I would just be cracking up the whole time. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, But it was kind of funny. Like this guy was just our like robot. We were just telling him where to go. And, but it was really fun. It made it feel like the real thing. It did. Now that you say that, it's reminding me of like some silly things. We were like, wait, look at that. And we thought it was really something. And he's like, uh, yeah. That's just a hole. Yeah. (laughs) 
that doesn't do anything. But he like was very nice about it and didn't make us feel silly. I think it's funny that we worked together all week and through this crazy time. And then on Saturday night, we still choose to spend more time together. I think that speaks volumes or either Kathy, you just really like escape rooms. (laughs) (laughs) I do really like escape rooms, but you guys aren't bad either. (laughs) So for me, the other luxurious thing that I did, but it was an, uh, it was a very weird experience. I will tell you, I finally got to get my hair done because I wanted to support local businesses and the hair salons are open again. And I am looking like Crystal Gale these days. I love her, but my hair is almost down to my bottom because I haven't had a cut in two and a half months. And so I went to go get my hair done. So the door is locked. So you have to knock on the door. Um, You have to have a mask on so they don't provide one like we do. And then they put sanitizer on your hands. They shoot a thermometer between your eyes and get your temperature. And then basically any surface that you touch, whether you sit on or do anything, they wipe down immediately. So it was a surreal experience. But let me tell you, I almost fell asleep in the chair getting my hair done. It just felt so nice. And I will never take getting my hair done for granted ever. And it was nice to support them. So I thought that was fun. So that's something special I got to do this weekend. So we don't get to call Somi Hagrid hair anymore. Oh my God. No more Hagrid hair. I like that. I've never heard that before. I usually say Chaka Khan, who I love and has beautiful hair. You know, there was a day where I was running around the office and my hair was just kinky and curly. And then I had the mask on over it, which is like trying to tame it in certain areas. I mean, it, and Kathy just looked at me and started laughing and it was kind of endearing. She's like, oh my God, you have Hagrid hair. And I love Hagrid. I love him. But yeah, I don't know if that's a compliment as a woman when you have Hagrid hair. I don't think so. I don't think you'd walk into a salon and be like, you need this hair. So I think we're going to, we're going to jump right into this. Mani, I want you to give us a lay of the land and I want you to tell me what your core responsibilities are at HerMD. And for those of us who are not familiar with business terms, what does a chief revenue officer even mean? <laughs> I mean, that's a really good question. So let's look at the word revenue. Obviously, I'm thinking about how to make money for the business at one level for her MD, and then also looking at the initial practice and like for future practices, how can we bring in different streams of revenue? How can we increase sales? And so at the her MD level, what I look at is just who are our franchise partners? What's the best partnership plan with them? And looking at how to help them succeed in their revenue goals. So looking at sales, it's also incorporates business development. Business development is, is partnerships, partnerships with other businesses at the practice level, looking at different people within the community we can partner with to help get the word out about our practice or about different events that we're having. And then at the HerMD corporate level, it's looking at business partners who are like-minded in our mission or who have a similar audience who they're trying to reach that we can work together with to really get the mission out about sexual health care and what we're doing. Uh, And it also looks at marketing. And so I manage all of our marketing channels at the HerMD level, from the website to email, to the newsletter, to content and social media. And then also at the practice level, looking at what events are we going to hold and what types of events are meaningful for our patients? What types of specials should we run? 
what type of information via email do we want to get out to them? And what does our social media look like at that local level? So kind of really looking at all three prongs of sales and marketing and business development. So circling back to something that you said, you know, I was new to this whole business world and I have watched other physicians make mistakes. And so how do you stay true to your business? And I'll give you an example. I've seen physicians who have set up shop at like a shoe store thinking, you know, it's a high end designer shoe shop and they're going to meet patients that way. I actually was asked, I have nothing against lingerie, love it. It gets great if you want to use it and wear it. But, you know, I had someone say, well, we want you to come in and do a question and answer session while we're selling underwear. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have partnered with someone, Nudies, who I think is an amazing, you know, brand of disposable underwear and good for the environment and can be used for so many medical reasons and for traveling. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like, you know, setting up shop in a lingerie shop was, you know, the message that I wanted to give. And this is before I brought you all on as my team. So can you tell me how physicians can avoid that or how do you not fall into those traps? And that's a great question because when I first started with you, I was, I was new to the industry, but we had been approached by like a local gym. So even though same demographic, looking at the mission and what we're trying to accomplish, I think in always bringing it back to that, we're about women's empowerment, obviously taking it back to also that lingerie shop where yes, we partnered with nudies, but nudies has a similar mission, right? They're trying to solve a problem for women who might have heavier periods and need to carry that pack of underwear with them so they can switch it out or young girls who are maybe about to get their period. And we don't want them to face any kind of embarrassment or period stigma. They can have their nudies and like switch out their underwear and feel good about it. And so really just looking at is this the partner who really has kind of the same mission as I do and we're aligned in those ways? Or is it an industry that is tangential to mine that seems to work in in partnership? And in your gut, if it doesn't feel right and someone's trying to convince you to partner with them, it likely isn't right. And you should trust your gut. I think that is great advice, especially for physicians who are trying to figure that out and especially when they're starting their business. So when you started working with me and her MD, what are some of the action items that you immediately had to begin to work on to start to help me grow my practice and to help me define the brand even more? Because at this point, we had grown to 7,000 patients. We were considering and are considering opening up practices around the country and getting the word out there. So tell me your action items and what you started to do. I mean, the first thing I did was I just had to take a step back and plan because if you're always reacting and always in the moment and marketing and like building up, you know, word of mouth and, and building up lead time, it t- I mean, it takes time. And so I had found quickly that, we were in a reactionary phase of like, oh my God, this is coming up next week. Oh my God, Mother's Day is like in two weeks. What are we doing? And so I took a step back and I was like, okay, we need to just look at the month. And I worked with the team and like, what makes sense at what times? When does cool sculpting, you know, make sense for patients to come in and do? What could we do to bring in more patients for Botox and filler and you had done makeover Monday and it was like why don't why doesn't more, why don't more people know that we're doing makeover Monday I think it's a great idea to have a, a dedicated day to bring in people to the practice um, to get Botox and filler 
And it was like, you're this expert in sexual health and you're a key opinion leader, but we weren't kind of shouting it from the rooftops, right? And so looking at taking the years, planning it out month by month of how we were going to bring in revenue from different kind of products and services and what was meaningful for your patients and the surrounding community. And then also just looking at how are we going to communicate that via email and how would we put that into social media? And so once the planning phase started, it made it a lot easier to then create things for the practice to be able to get the word out. And it got everyone kind of behind the same message. They knew what to communicate, when to communicate it. And so I found that that was really helpful. What I have loved that you have done for our practice is this very elegant mission of empowering, advocating, and educating patients. But there is a very delicate balance of being seen as a physician and a provider and a researcher, which is who I am to my core, but then also balancing this, yes, we have this medical spa and we do these cosmetic procedures And, you know, I had once had a patient say, hey, Dr. Javade, can you tell me a little bit more about this? You're all about empowering women, but Mm -hmm. then you have a medical spa. Are you telling people that, you know, they need to do these things or what are you saying? And I think you've really helped me with that delicate balance of you should love yourself the way that you are. But if you, if there is something that's keeping you from feeling like the person that you want to be or your best self we have all these available in a very safe environment and it is not a high pressure sales environment because that's not what we're trying to do at her MD. We want to empower women to feel like their best selves, whether it's their sexual self or their aesthetic self or their gynecologic Mm -hmm. self. That was my fear in bringing in someone who didn't truly understand me is that they would just go crazy on the sales side and not say true to who we are. So tell me how you balanced that. You had this idea in your head about total and complete and comprehensive wellness for women, which, in, which includes beauty. I mean, when we feel good about ourselves, that positively impacts us. I love to go get a facial. I, you know, I've gotten laser hair removal. Those things make me feel better about myself. And so I think it's what you said. It's not like blasting out sale, 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 and putting up these images of like women that our patients couldn't relate to that are almost unattainable. But it's about making them feel better about themselves. And if they want to get these services, or get these skincare products that they should, and they can do it in an environment where they're seeing the provider there, and they trust the estheticians there to give them the best advice, and to give them a plan that makes sense for them. And so It is first and foremost, though, really about the mission that you came with when you started the practice, which is empowering women um, and educating and advocating. So you, you can obviously, and you should, you have to make money in the medical spa is that aesthetic revenue stream, but you're bringing in the patients with your mission. Some of the most beautiful times in the spa when I've held back tears and shared hugs prior to COVID was when we've had cancer survivors come in and Mm -hmm. they've lost a lot of weight or their self-esteem has been completely altered and they come in 
and get filler or they get a laser treatment and they're crying and they're sobbing because they're so excited to look like themselves again after they've had these treatments. I think that has been the power of having the medical practice with the medical spa. And it's like watching my dream come to fruition when these women come in and they feel so much better or a woman who's reclaimed her sexual health, who hasn't been able to be sexually active. And it's actually a marker of how much better they are getting when they start to pay more attention to their personal appearance. You know, just like you worry about someone's mental health when they're walking around unkempt and they're not taking care of themselves. Self-care is a true marker and a barometer of what's happening with female patients. So I love that marriage and I love the way you've helped us navigate that. So these events that we have have been unbelievable and there are times that we have had over a hundred people show up. So tell me how you run a successful event. I mean, I have been fortunate to come to our anniversary event. It stinks that I'm in New Jersey sometimes because I can't make it to everyone like our sexual health events, which are educational, but they're also fun and they're informative. And it is those events that create the environment where women can ask questions and feel, they look around and they're like, I am not alone. And I think that's an amazing just feeling. And I think that's why we have so many patients come in to our events. But to really run a successful event, I'm going to sound like such a broken record, but you, you have to plan. Again, like, you know, there were instances where in prior jobs that I've worked and even in the beginning, like, we were like, oh my gosh, that ev- we need to have an event. Let's, let's get something on the calendar and let's do it in two weeks. And then everyone's kind of running around and it's better to just plan. And so when you're planning and you look at like, okay, I'm going to have an event on this date, you really need to start looking back at least six to eight weeks to start the planning. Um, and you look at where's the event going to be? Is it going to be in office or is it going to be somewhere else? What staff do I need? So if you're running a sexual health education event, making sure that, you know, you have the right staff accompanying you there, your whole team is there, figuring out what you might talk about and what is kind of the goal of the event. And then looking at how you're going to get the word out to people. And so looking at different business development partners that you have in the community and getting them the information, whether it's through postcards that you can drop off and have them hand out to their patients or sending them some email copy that they can blast out to their patients through their email, letting them know about this event that's happening. Obviously, letting the patients in your practice know through signage, flyers in the office, through your social media channels, through email, and picking up the phone and calling and inviting patients. They love to hear from us. And getting that personal phone call is such a nice touch. And we've also done radio sometimes where it makes sense. I think you know, for some of the medical aesthetic events, it was really great for me to learn that a lot of our partners have marketing dollars. And so if you're partnered with a company, they will give you some dollars to be able to put out some Facebook ads or to spend on radio or to spend in any kind of direct mail or advertisement in any kind of local publication. 
I think what you said too about knowing which staff to have at which events is mm -hmm. absolutely key because education is instrumental and so integral to our mission. But you also have this magic about you. Kathy and I have been with you and been <laughs> at places and we literally will ask and we will hear no. And then you ask or have a conversation with someone and it's a yes. If you could give, I mean, obviously you have your personality that we absolutely love, but if you could give one piece of advice, how do you turn a no into a yes? I think the best thing to do is to connect with the person who you're making the ask of on a personal level. Put the business aside and let them get to know you as a human and you get to know them as a human. Because once someone knows you, it's harder to say no, right? And so you, you form that connection. Find something in common. Ask about them. I do that with every, almost every meeting I have. I start, you know, the first five or 10 minutes. And I don't see it as a waste of just like chit-chat and banter and why isn't she getting to the point? Because it's important because you're developing a relationship at the end of the day because you don't want to have that you know, get what you want and get right out and like, that's it and have it be so transactional. You want to continue to be able to ask someone um, and form a partnership. And so I think that's the, that's the biggest piece of advice I would have. And I so agree with that. And that I think is the mistake that physicians don't realize and that they make is that they think that they can do everything, but you can't. I cannot form those business development relationships. I can't plan these events. I can't make those phone calls. I can't put the team together because I'm seeing the patients. And really, you have to surround yourself with experts. And that's what you have truly um, done with our team at HerMD and elevated us to a completely another level, which I absolutely love. I want to ask you, because I did this alone myself initially, um, and I was able to do it because the practice was slower in the beginning. But what's the difference between having, you know, being powered by HerMD and having your help and having experts help you versus a physician or providers just trying to go it alone? There's several mistakes. I don't want to say a lot of mistakes, but there, there are mistakes that, you know, people make when they don't have a marketing or business development background. Um, and that's, the, you know, one of the biggest issues is just throwing a lot of money at at the problem. And it really isn't a problem like marketing or, you know, sales or business development shouldn't be like the thing you kind of need to fix and you'll throw money at it and it'll just poof work. You know, spending $10,000 on an ad in a women's health section of a newspaper is not going to bring you thousands and thousands of new patients. But without that kind of understanding when you're being pitched, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put the money and I check, check box. I've done it. And then lo and behold, you know, it doesn't work out. So I think it's, you know, spending money and in the wrong places. And I think it's also creating partnerships that might not make sense or doing events where you think your target patients are, and you know, they're not in the right mindset to maybe be focusing on it. And so if you're at an event, you had mentioned before, like going to a shoe store or going to, you know, a lingerie store, like those women are there for a different reason. And they might not be wanting to even talk to a physician and, and think about their healthcare in that moment, they are wanting to buy shoes and do that. And so it's not the right fit. And so I think 
things like that can be enticing. Like, oh, I can reach a ton of, a ton of women. I'm going to go to that. And they're just not in the mindset. So that could be not only a waste of money, but also just a waste of time. And I've seen both of those mistakes. And the biggest thing that I think physicians don't realize is the person who is selling you an ad is also trying to make money, right? And once they have you pay for that, there's no incentive for them to make it come to fruition or bring you a million patients versus becoming part of her MD or bringing on a marketing expert When you succeed, they succeed. And I think that's the complete difference. Not to put Somi on the spot, but I think like one of the things I've seen her do on her own versus after you have gotten more involved, Tamani, is just measuring things, Mm -hmm. the the impact of things, right? Like Somi posts a lot of adorable posts about time with her family and time with her friends that are super cute. And I do think that drives a lot of engagement from our audience, like people like it, comments on those types of posts. But then sometimes I'll see her promote them. (laughs) Not to make fun of Sony too much, but I'm like, well, what was the objective here? What were you trying to achieve? Where are we generating revenue from that? So being able to measure your campaigns to be able to figure out if they are worthwhile or not is I think an area where it does make sense to have professional help. And then the other thing I think we've been able to help the practice with is make ads more actionable, right? So we used to have Cyber Mondays and we would post about it and we would say, call our office or come in to buy a gift card. But people who see these things on social media, you know, they don't want to pick up a phone and talk to a human, or they don't want to drive over to our practice to purchase a gift card on this crazy day where there's a lot of traffic and total mayhem going on. So being able to digitize that experience so that people can spend money with us, but do it online by buying a digital gift card made our return on advertising spend go up because we made this campaign a lot more actionable and convenient for people. Yes. And it was a record breaking year um, with Cyber Monday. So just doing that increased our profitability so much. So I'm going to keep asking you questions. And I know I'm the bane of your existence with social media because (laughs) doctors, doctors, you know, we get this whole course on social media during medical school and residency, and we know all about this, not, um, never, never. So I'm the one who calls you and is like, well, how do I share this? How do I do this? So I want you to share a little bit about how does a practice build an audience? How do we drive engagement? Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly learning about social media. I think it's helpful having an 18-year-old daughter. <laughs> she teaches me, she teaches me uh, about social media. But in all honesty, I mean, being in women's sexual health and wellness and healthcare and medical aesthetics, you have to know where your audience is. And we had started on Facebook, you know, then a couple years ago, we we're like, okay, we have to have an Instagram page. Like our audience is, is there. So really understanding, you know, who your patients are and where to find them and get the word out of what your social media handles are and keep telling them. And then also, as you start to open your account to start to grow your audience, you follow people who are in similar industries. And so we follow 
other physicians who are in sexual health. We follow other podcasters who are focused on women's health and sexual health. We follow, you know, our different business development partners, the skincare lines that we carry, cool sculpting and hydrofacial. So we want you want to make sure that you're following people in your circle, the businesses who have similar patients and customers that you do. And then also follow hashtags. Hashtags are like conversations. So you can follow a conversation. So one that we follow is women's health. When you're doing social media, like to grow and start, you have to do those things. And then establish your voice, right? Like our mission is important to us. And so through our posts, we're constantly kind of weaving in that type of language of education, empowerment, advocacy. And you, you want to take into account how edgy do you want to be or, you know, how political, things like that to make sure you're staying true to your brand and your patients. And then I'll sound like that broken record again, it's plan, you know, look at what you're doing that month and what message you want to give out to your followers and your patients. Yes, we run sales, but those aren't usually the type of posts that get the most engagement. Yes, you should put it out there so people can see it and hear about it. It takes people on average seven times to see something before they react. So it's just another layer, but they really follow us and want to hear from us because of our mission and what we're doing in sexual health and what you're doing. So when you're looking at, you know, your practice, it's also you, you're your own personal brand, right? And so they want to hear from you and and what you're doing and they want to see what's going on in the office. And so making sure to have different types of content and then really looking at, you know, your likes and your comments and what are the types of posts that you're patients and people who are following you are liking and then posting more of that. For physicians out there who want to grow their followers and their audience, I mean, obviously you can just buy followers these days, but that's not necessarily growing the audience that you no. need to engage. What are some of the things that we did to grow our follower base in an organic and meaningful way? You know, it's giving people content, content and content that's meaningful, and then also seeking out partners or seeking out other people. So we've done some Instagram live events. They've been really fun. And I think people want to see that and want to hear from us. And then what you're able to do also is when you do something like an Instagram live um, and you're doing it with someone else, their followers also see it. I think also being very mindful of when we are posting, tagging our partners, you know, our different business development partners or the different people that we work with, because that gets exposure. They like it, they share it, and then their audience sees that as well, and they click over and then they start to follow you. When you're running a marketing campaign, what are the simple key metrics you like to track and how do you know whether or not the campaign was successful? So I think... When you're doing traditional marketing, one of the biggest things you should look at is return on ad spend, which is ROAS. I will give an example. And this was in a previous company, but there was a promotion that was run every month and and they spent tens of thousands of dollars on sending out postcards and purchasing a mailing list every single time. And they're like, well, the month went really well and we did a lot of sales, but they did like 10 other things. And they're like, but we can't stop. We can't stop these postcards. You can't stop this direct mail because if we do, maybe we won't have 
you know, the incredible sales that we've had. And so I was like, no, we have to track these postcards and really see if they make sense. So we, we put on a phone number that we could track and see how many, you know, calls we could get from that. And then, you know, we, we tracked our return on ad spend. Did people actually call that number and purchase? And guess what? The answer was no. <laughs> so it was like not worth it to spend all that money. But they were so paralyzed. Like we had such a great sales month that this was one of the things that we pulled this. We won't know. We, maybe we won't have those sales. And so you really need to look and make sure like the money that you're spending, is it worth it? Is it going to drive sales? Is it going to drive people to purchase? And if it's not, it's not worth it. So that's really important because marketing dollars crucial. And if you have X amount of dollars, you want to spend them in the most meaningful way. And that's where I think her MD and, you know, our team helps people because yeah, a physician can just buy ads. I mean, I did it my first year um, and you, you're not really deciphering whether or not it's a smart dollar spend, right? You can buy a billboard, you can buy radio ads, you can buy TV ads, but, you know, talking about your return on investment, those were things that you and I, you know, discussed when you came on. You know, I get this question all the time when you and I are at conferences and we're talking to potential doctors that want to open a HerMD. They're like, well, how much money do you think I should be spending as a private practice on marketing? So how do you answer that question for those doctors who um, have that question for you? Like a lot of things, it depends, but there's, there's a couple of things. So, you know, if you're a brand new practice, you might be needing to spend more money because you need to understand, you know, where your money is best spent. You have to start testing out and you have to get the word out. But there are really inexpensive ways also like business development and partnering with your local community and um, different businesses, different small businesses who will help get the word out to people who are kind of your target audience as well. Spending a couple hundred dollars on Facebook ads and Instagram ads. Facebook and Instagram make it pretty easy to be able to see how many people are you reaching with these dollars? How many, you know, what's the cost per click? Meaning like how much money are you spending for a person to click through and take the action that you want them to go to your website or go to, you know, the landing page. So really just dipping your toe in and spending a couple hundred dollars a month to really just get that brand awareness and have people become more exposed to the practice and who you are is really enough to start. It doesn't need to be tens of thousands of dollars. I like that because budget can be tight for a lot of new practices and even established practices. A lot of times you want to spend your money on new medical devices or something that can, you know, bring in even more money. So choosing that and knowing that it can be uh, a lower spend option, I think is really eye-opening for a lot of uh, physicians. I feel like it needs to be said that social media has been kind of a double-edged sword for us because Mm -hmm. while I think our, our mission of empowering women is very well suited for social media. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I mean, we've encountered so many challenges with promoting some of our posts, right? Yes. Where we talk about sex yes. and we are a medical practice that focuses on sexual health. And as soon right. as Facebook or Instagram sees the word sex, they just ban that app yes. and, and don't even let us spend money. So what are some creative ways where we've worked around that? Yeah, no, you brought up a really good point and you do get flagged. So for medical aesthetics, it's easier 
you know, you can post that and, you know, that has nothing to do with women's sexual health care. But in terms of being able to promote that, it's through, you know, we've done the educational events around women's health care. So promoting those types of posts, um, you can you can do that and it, because it's around the educational component. But you're right. And, and when we started telemedicine, we were able to have advertising around telemedicine on Facebook um, because we were promoting our telemedicine platform. So if you're able to use dollars to promote things that don't have the words sex in it, you're able to kind of get the word out about those things and attract the followers and attract people who engage with you. And then you can put out your posts about your mission and sexual health um, and maybe not be able to promote some of those, but you don't have to promote every post. It's shocking and maddening to me uh-huh. as a female physician in 2020 that we have no way to delineate the difference between porn and sexual health care. And it makes me sad for women. But we're changing that, right? That's, uh-huh. our, that's our goal. So what's right. the best piece of marketing advice that you have if you wanted to just give us a little teaser? I think it's that content is really important. And like, what is, what is content? People want education. That is what they're coming to us for. I think one of the biggest things I learned, and I put that out there now, and it immediately grabs people's attention. Do you know what HSDD is? You know, asking your female patients, and many don't know. I did not know. And it's like, well, have you heard of erectile dysfunction or ED? And not to, not to hate on men, like that is a very important issue for them. But it is just so mind boggling to me that majority of women do know that and have heard of that, but they have not heard of HSDD, did not even know that they were suffering from an issue, right? And so the biggest advice is like putting out that content and that education for your patients, for your business partners, because that establishes trust. And at the end of the day, as a brand, that's what you want. Because when you have trust, those people, your patients take care of you. People come back to you. They're loyal. That's what we've seen. And that's how I think you've been able to grow the practice and we've been able to grow it to, you know, 7,000 patients is through building that trust and showing, you know, the expertise. So I have loved chatting with you and Kathy today. I feel like every time I talk to the both of you, I learn so much more and get to see the business through your eyes. And I'm excited for the physicians that are going to open her MD centers with us. Uh, And I want to thank you once again for taking the time to chat with us today. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD, a female forward wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can follow HerMD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerMD Health and sign up for our newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll share it with your friends. They can listen to us on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're a healthcare provider who is interested in opening a HerMD location, or if you already have your own practice and you'd like to be powered by HerMD, reach out to us at info at HerMDHealth.com.